Hi, this is Pastor Andrew here at Oak Ridge Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can check us out online at www.orbcnet.com. Or better yet, come by and visit us at the corner of Wurzbach and Vance Jackson in Northwest San Antonio. If y'all would <clears throat> pray with me just for a just for a moment. The genealogy of Jesus is one of those difficult passages to try to preach through. So uh, I've set a tall order this morning, and I'm going to need the Lord's help as I get through it. Dear Lord, God, I ask that you would be with me this morning as I preach all of Scripture to your people. God, I ask that you would be with me and watch over me, that you would anoint me with holy unction for the preaching of your word, that only your word would be spoken here and only your word would be heard, that the faith of the people here would rest on your word alone and not on human wisdom. God, I ask these things in your holy name. Amen. This morning's sermon is entitled, A Time for Remembering. We have spent the last several weeks remembering. We have spent the last several weeks remembering the stories that God has told us about his people in his word. One of the tools that we use to do that is our Advent readings and our Advent wreath. The readings that we've been doing this year um, are decidedly un-Christmassy. So the the verses that we read this morning were from one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, uh, the story of Baal and the prophets. And you've never really heard that scripture told until you've listened to the the song God of Elijah by Disciple. I don't know if anybody here's ever heard that band. They're kind of a crunchy, heavy metal Christian band that sings God of Elijah, and it's awesome. And it really captures kind of the gritty... uh, uh, just this, the gritty violence of the text. Um, but we're remembering who God is. We're remembering the promises that he has made throughout the Bible as those promises lead up to the birth of his son Jesus and the transformation of the world. We come into a a season of remembrance, and and so many of us will spend the next several weeks remembering Christmases gone by. I had the opportunity to go to the Livingstones Christmas party on Friday, and one of the exercises, one of the games that we played was everybody stood up and told a story about a meaningful Christmas in their past, and and it it was... Touching to watch as people talked about Christmases that had happened 60, 70 years ago, things from their childhood, things from their early marriages, and there was this wealth of meaning and emotion that these memories would bring up. That's one of the reasons that Christmas is so hard for so many people. There are so many emotional overtones so many memories of people that have gone on before us, people that are not sitting around the table with you, children that are gone. This morning, we're going to be going through what is, in essence, 
um, a long series of memories from Israel's collective past. We're going to be preaching through, we're going to be looking at the genealogy of Jesus. Now, I want you to understand this, that the genealogy of Jesus is one of those texts that is universally ignored by Christians and universally pounced on by atheists. It is one of those passages that most people, if they've read it, they read it really fast without really thinking about the names and trying to get through it. If you have to read it, it's one of those, one of those kind of daunting challenges. I'm sure, and Tony did a fantastic job this morning, but all, yeah, let's everybody give Tony a hand for that because those are not easy names. It's not like Bob was the son of Charlie and Charlie was the son of Rob. No, it's not like that. It's like, I mean, now if you, if you are getting ready to have some kids here, that's a really good place that you can plumb to get some really unique names. You know, like, you know, you don't have to make up unique names. You could choose, I don't know, Uzziah, for example. But often, we'll just kind of read through this without thinking about it. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, we're like, why is this even really here? Like, what value added does the genealogy really bring to the passage? Atheists, on the other hand, will pounce on it and say, aha, look at all of the inconsistencies between this genealogy and the genealogy in Luke. You guys are all fools. You're all fools for believing this because after all, isn't the Bible just a collection of flawed documents anyway? So as we go through this, what we need to realize is that what we're reading here is not actually a genealogy. Part of the problem that we run into when we read this is we are tending to miss. Read it. This is not a list of all of the ancestors that Jesus ever had all the way back to Abraham. Part of the problem is that most Bibles translate this as the genealogy when really a more appropriate introduction would be an introduction to the life of Jesus. Matthew calls this section in Greek the Biblos Heneseos. Literally, the book of beginnings. This phrase occurs two other places. It occurs in the Greek translation of the Old Testament used by the Jews at the time of Jesus. Most of the Old Testament quotes are going to come from this, and we find it also in Genesis 2.4, the book, uh, I'm sorry, in the, in, the, in the Greek translation, it comes from Genesis 2.4 and Genesis 5.2. Genesis 2-4 is the book of the origin of the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis 5-2, it is the book of the descendants of Adam. And so what we see here is that this is really the book of the origins of Jesus Christ. The result is a very clear signal to the author's primary, to his primarily Jewish audience of what his purpose is. Right? What is the purpose that that Matthew is trying to convey. Well, he wants to be very clear, and he wants to convey a very clear message, and that message is that you would know that Jesus Christ is the Son of David and the Messiah. That's his point. 
That's what he wants you to take away from the entire book of Matthew, and it's what he wants you to take away from the genealogy this morning. We need to understand that Matthew is not writing a modern Western history of Jesus. This is not the History Channel special on Jesus. This is a a different kind of document. It's meant to paint a picture of the continuum of salvation history from Abraham to Jesus. This is why he makes this kind of interesting division, right? He takes, he names all the people from Abraham to King David. Then he names the folks from King David to the exile, and then he names the folks from the exile to Jesus. There's three kind of seasons in Jewish history. And then he makes this statement. There were 14 generations from from Abraham to to King David. There's 14 generations from King David to the exile. There's 14 generations from the exile to the birth of Jesus. Now, there are patently not 14 generations. We can go through scripture and name most of the people that were there. What he's doing is symbolic. Abraham to David was a period of between 800 and 1,000 years. The 14 generations between David and the exile was about 400 years. What we find is that there are many people that the author is skipping. There are some of the names that are different because they come from different translations. What we need to conclude from this is that it is not a list of lineal descendants that encompasses the entire history of Israel. This is a picture of what salvation history looked like in the different epochs leading up to Christ. And so each of these lists is going to be there and it's going to provide a very interesting point about who Jesus was and what he was coming to do. The main point is that Jesus is the answer to all of the promises that God has made from Abraham all the way through the birth of Christ. That's the important takeaway here. Is that God is a God who is imminent and involved in the lives of his people. He makes promises to his people and he keeps all of his promises. That's the message. Jesus was the seed of the blessing promised to Abraham. This is kind of the theme of this first section. Matthew wants his Jewish audience to understand that Jesus is the true seed of Abraham and the heir of God's promise. So in order for us to understand God's promise, one of the verses that we read uh, in the last couple of weeks was the story of Abraham on Mount Moriah preparing to sacrifice his son. This is one of the high, dramatic passages of Scripture. If we go to Genesis chapter chapter 22, verses 16 through 18, this is after Abraham has loaded his son down with the wood of his sacrifice and, and his son has walked up the mountain and Abraham is standing there with this knife ready to kill his own son, the son who was the son of the promise, the son given to him in his old age as a sign of God's love for him. And he's preparing to sacrifice him. And God holds his hand. And he says this, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, 
that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. God's response to this extreme act of faith was one of the defining characteristics of the Hebrew people. In faithfulness to his word, God declares this same blessing to Isaac. He declares it to Jacob over and over again. He declares that he is preserving his people because of the faith that Abraham had. God lists this faith as one of the reasons he chose the Hebrews to be his gedolah, is the word in Hebrew. And it means his prized possession, the jewel in his crown, the most important thing that he has. The Jewish people are literally the apple of his eye because of the faithfulness of Abraham. And because of Abraham's faithfulness, God will continue to bless his people. In Deuteronomy 7 and 9, he says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is faithful, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Through the long history of Israel, a history that will be marked by famine and slavery and civil war and repeated cycles of falling away and apostasy, God will continue to show faithfulness to his people because that's his nature. Because he is faithful. He's faithful. God would not abandon them because he is a faithful God and he keeps his promise. Matthew is writing his book to a people that are crushed under yet another yoke of oppression. He's, he's writing his book to a group of people who are in service to an empire that they hate. And he's trying to convey to them the, the idea that God has not forgotten them. That God has kept his promise. God has kept the promise he made to Abraham through the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the son of Abraham. And I think that as we move into this season of remembrance, what's one of the important things for us to remember is that God kept his promises to Abraham and he kept his promises to Israel and he keeps his promises to us. He's faithful to us. Even when things don't feel good, even when things seem like they're falling apart, God is still faithful to us. Jesus was the promised son of Abraham, but he was also the fulfillment of God's promise to David. At the height of Israel's power and prestige, God made another promise to another godly man. In 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 16, he says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors. I will rise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. 
He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son, and when he, when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him as long as, it, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Before me, your throne will be established forever. And so God, Matthew wants his audience to understand that Jesus is the son of Abraham and he's also the son of David. He is the logical extension of this promise that was made to King David all those years ago. Now the son of David was a term that was used by the prophets to describe the descendant of David who would fulfill this promise because if we look at the history of Israel, we see that the kings of Israel were a pretty sad group of guys. Like all in all, they're pretty pathetic. You have some good ones, and as we read through that list of names, there's some really good ones that stand out. David's pretty good. Solomon has his problems, but he's okay. Hezekiah, Josiah were fairly good kings. But most of them, most of them were kind of a dumpster fire. I mean, if we're honest. There's a list of kingly attributes that we find in the book of Deuteronomy and none of them fulfilled those characteristics. They were vain, idolatrous, they were foolish, they married foreign women who led them astray, they killed the prophets of God, they allowed the kingdom to be conquered by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, they allowed the temple to be burned and the people to be left up into captivity. As shepherds, <coughs> they failed. They couldn't lead the people in the appropriate way they were supposed to act, they couldn't protect the people from the wolves that were at the gate. During this long, slow decline, the prophets of God repeatedly called on the kings to repentance, and time and time again, the kings disappointed them. That's what the books of the prophets are all about. Read through Isaiah. Over and over and over again, he's going to call the kings into repentance, and over and over again, they're going to ignore him. And somewhere in the midst of this slow motion tragedy, the prophets begin to tell a different story. They foretell the coming of a true king who would lead his people, a true good shepherd, who would be different from these clowns that are leading Israel. Isaiah predicted that from the ashes of a destroyed Israel, another king would rise up. He says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, Jesse being the family of David. A branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him and the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He predicts this and yet the kings didn't change. In fact, they got worse And the nation was destroyed. The temple was burned down. And yet in the midst of the ashes of this broken kingdom, 
within the sight of the burned temple, right? You can, you can, he probably could still smell the dead bodies. Jeremiah writes this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. That this would not just be another king like David or Solomon. He would be something different, something unique in the history of the world. Isaiah predicted this when he said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time and forevermore. See, this king that would come would not just be one of the descendants of David. It would be a different kind of king. This would be God himself come among his people to lead his people. This is the expectation of the son of David. Jesus was the fulfillment of this promise to his people hundreds of years. For hundreds of years, God hadn't fulfilled it. For hundreds of years, kind of the, the line of David seemed to be petering out. We get, we get these images. If anybody here has ever read The Lord of the Rings, there's kind of this image of the king, the line of the kings becoming diluted and falling to pieces. And yet, in the midst of tragedy, the line of the kings is resuscitated and this nowhere guy from this nowhere place stands up, has a child, and that child is Jesus. See, God's timing is not our timing. The promises of God take a long time to be fulfilled. Often we get so tired of waiting that we turn away from God or we say unfair things about God. If you had been a person in that 400 years of silence in between Malachi and the coming of Jesus, there would have been this temptation as you lived your life, as you were born and you lived and you died without seeing the Messiah to think, well, God must not keep his promises, but God keeps his promises. In his own timing. His God timing is not your timing. He operates based on the, the counsels of his own heart for his own glory. See, Jesus was the answer to, the God, to God's promises to Abraham. And he was the answer to God's promises to David. But he was also the answer to another promise that is woven throughout the Bible. He was the Messiah. He was more than just the son of Abraham, more than the promised righteous king. He was the Messiah, the savior of the entire world. Right? He was the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. 
He is the one who will bring the blessings to the entire world. There is a mission here far beyond the interests of one group of people, one kingdom, and a small kingdom at that. In Micah chapter 4, verses two, 1 and 2, it says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the heights of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, during the time of the exile... The Hebrew people began to understand something about themselves and about their God. Prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel showed them that there was a higher meaning to all the suffering that they had endured, that it wasn't just about them, that they were the keeper of a seed and a promise that was meant for the entire world. The blessing would come through the Messiah who would rescue the people and bring the kingdom of God. In Isaiah, we read, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Not justice to Israel. He'll bring justice to the nations. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. The kingdom of God, God will claim all of this people as his. Peace will come. This is the promise. Matthew wants his readers to understand that there is this promise of the blessing of God going out into the world. And so he does something interesting. Something that we don't see in genealogies. Something that is not done in the ancient world. He includes women in the genealogy. This is one of those things that we catch if we're careful as we read through it. He includes four women, none of whom are Jews, and all of whom are tainted in some way into the genealogy of Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the Messiah. So who do we have? We got Tamar. Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. She was a Canaanite. She became pregnant after pretending to be a prostitute. Not a great example. She's one of Jesus' relatives. Rahab, also a Canaanite, also a prostitute. She helps the spies escape from the city of Jericho. She's included as an example of the power of repentance. Ruth is a Moabite. Her husband was not supposed to marry her, and he did, and he died. And yet she has the faith in God and becomes the grandmother of Israel's greatest king. Right? Ruth is the father of Obed, and Obed is the father of Jesse, and Jesse's the father of David. Finally, Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, like Rahab, Ruth, and Tamar, she's not a Jew. She and David commit adultery. She's the accessory to murder. And yet God chooses her to be the mother of the wisest king, Solomon. 
Matthew includes these women's names in the genealogy for a very specific reason. He wants them there to remind them that the Messiah was descendant of four women with checkered pasts from outside of the nation of Israel. Each of these women was a Gentile, each of these women was a sinner, and each of these women was engrafted into God's people. Why? Well, because as Paul says in Romans 8, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Each of these women is brought into the people of God through a dramatic act of faith. Why? Because that's the message. That's the theme. God loves his children, but his children are those who love him. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus, his cousin, in just a little bit, is going to look at the people of Israel and say, don't come to me and claim that you're the children of Abraham because God can raise up from the very stones children to follow him. This genealogy paints a picture of grace going out from God to the nations. The message is clear. All people can be engrafted into God's holy people and become sons and daughters of God. Matthew's telling his primarily Jewish audience that Jesus is the promised son of Abraham, the promised son of David, and the Messiah, and he's pleading with them to accept him as their rightful king. And he's warning them, if you don't, there are plenty more that can be brought in. Do not count on your heritage to make you right before God. It is only faith in Christ that saves you. Jesus will open up the floodgates and release the mercy of God to all peoples on earth. And any person who turns to him will be healed and saved. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the answer to all of the promises that God has made to his people from Abraham through David into the present day. And we have to build our lives around those promises. I'm just going to tell you right now, many of you are depressed and upset and sad because you have built your lives on promises that are false. You have built your lives on promises given to you by people who are just as finite as you are. Brothers and sisters, the American dream is not a promise from God. Hallmark Hall of Fame is not a promise from God. If you've built your life on images of what a good life looks like based on the Hallmark Hall of Fame movies, I, I, I read something one, it was like, it was like 168 movies, uh, 168 movies with 12 actors and one plot line. That's Hallmark Hall of Fame. 
Come on. Oh, I just stepped on some toes now. I'm going to get hate mail now. Right? That's not reality. It doesn't snow in Texas. Maybe in Amarillo, but not here. Okay? If you're building your expectations of Christmas based on something you've seen in a movie or something that you think is supposed to happen, you are going to get let down every single time. Because guess what? Your family members are sinning human beings. And they're going to break your heart. You're going to expect things from them that they cannot give you. Things that it's not fair to ask of them. But brothers and sisters, if you will put your faith in the promises that God has made, you will never be let down. God promised us that he will never leave us or forsake us. Right? And he won't. No matter how dark it gets, he's still there. No matter how bad you are, he's still there. With his arms open, ready to receive you back. He told you that greater is the power that is inside of you than the power that is inside of the world. Right? That, that means that no matter how hard the challenge that you face is, God is there to empower you to succeed. Maybe not the way that the world sees it, but definitely the way that God has declared it. He said, I have worked all things together for the good of those who love me and are called according to his purpose. Not good may be peace in the presence of God after you die. But that promise is still there. Brothers and sisters, if we will hold on to those promises, we will never be let down. His faithfulness in the past stands as the certitude of his faithfulness in the future. And if you will be honest with yourself and look at your life, you will see his hand as surely guiding you and protecting you and carrying you in the past as he did with Israel through those 14 generations from Abraham to David and the 14 generations from David to the exile and those 14 generations from the exile to Jesus. He has been there the whole time Brothers and sisters, we have all been saved for God's glory. We have been chosen because God seeks the lost and the last and the least. We cannot look at ourselves and our status in Christ and see that as somehow indicative of something awesome that we are or something that we have done. It's not about you. It's about him. He didn't save Israel because they were a great group of people that always made good choices. Because they weren't. In fact, you could argue that he picked the worst and the last group of people that you should choose. And he used them to glorify himself. He does the same thing with us because it pleases him to glorify himself by using broken people to do amazing things. So if we will cling to the promises of God, we will accept that God seeks his glory. We will begin to redeem this season for him. 
See, we've all been saved by God for his mission to redeem the world. This continuum that begins in the garden that passes through Abraham, through David, through Jesus, this mission to save the world, this has been handed off to us. We stand in this line. We are part of the story. Each of us has been engrafted into the people of God, not because of anything that we've done. And each of us is called to move on to that next step, that next level. Brothers and sisters, as we prepare to leave this place, I want to leave you with this. You've been saved for a reason. And that reason is not to entertain yourself until you die. You have been saved so that you can glorify God by enjoying him and doing his will. And maybe if this Christmas you will focus on doing his will, enjoying him and trusting his promises, Maybe this season you will have a fundamentally different Christmas than you did last year. It's going to take you making some changes. It's going to mean focusing on different things. It's going to mean letting go of some things and accepting some new ones. But I will tell you, it is the little things that nobody sees that make the changes that everybody wants. Some of you, the problem is not that you're focusing on the wrong promises. The the problem is that you don't know Jesus. The problem is not that you don't understand your Savior. The problem is that you don't have a Savior. Many of you live as enemies of Christ. I mean to tell you, everything that you put your hand to is going to fail. Whether now or later, everything in your life will end up empty, corrupted, and decayed if you do not have Christ in your life. So I beg you, as we come to the end of our time together this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you've never made a commitment to follow him, I'd ask you to come forward. Make a profession of faith in him. Talk to one of our deacons and we'll tell you how that works. You can begin this journey to purpose today. But it takes a decision from you. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Thanks for listening to this sermon, part of the teaching ministry at Oak Ridge Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about Oak Ridge, you can go to www.orbcnet.com.